Sometimes a shorter message with the more pointed approach is better, and that will be the case today, and we'll be on our way. But I'm glad you've come this morning. And let's give our attention now to what God has to say for us, to us. I'm going to try to cover a huge section here of Ezra 5 and 6. The story itself was quite interesting, wasn't it? And uh, we'll gain some principles from it this morning. We look at the exiles returning from Babylon as a result of the punishment that they were under because of their sin. They even mentioned it in the letter that was written by Tatnai. says they responded to us by saying that they had angered God because of their rebellion. Verse number 12 of chapter 5. And they came back and began working right away on the foundation of the temple, which they completed. And you recall that we ended last week with the weeping of some of the old men. Uh, who had seen the first temple, most likely weeping because of uh, what had caused that 70 years of exile. And they realized all the years that were lost because of their sin. Well, this morning, uh, we want to turn our attention in a slightly different direction as we examine what's happening uh, to these exiles. I hope you would agree that there is no greater work to be involved in in this life than Christian service. I'm not talking about being a full-time Christian servant like a pastor or a missionary, though there is great joy and I count it a privilege to have as my full-time job the ministry of God's Word. But I'm not talking about that. I mean, there is joy in serving Christ but I'm talking about the privilege and really responsibility that each of you and all of us as believers have to be a follower and servant of Jesus. Many people want their life and their, uh, let me say it this way, many people want their influence to outlive their life. This is why so many people when preparing for their own certain death make a will or create an endowment, give something to a university or some organization that they love because they want their influence to continue on even while after they're gone. And the only real influence that will last forever and for eternity is work that is done to advance the kingdom of God. And that's why it's a privilege to be involved in that service because not only is it just glorious in itself to do things that would honor and glorify God and to serve Him, but it is also a lasting work. Again, I'm not talking about being a full-time ministry, in full-time ministry. I'm talking about things like this. Teaching uh, some sort of class or sending an encouraging note on someone's birthday or just because. Uh, running the sound system cleaning the toilets, watering the plants here, vacuuming the floor, cutting the grass, tending the flowers, picking up the mail and paying the bills, tending to our vehicles and driving them to pick up children, passing out of tracks, the gathering of the trash and pulling it to the road, the weed whacking of weeds, gathering and singing to 
give a word of encouragement to someone who is down, to edify them, to put some money in the offering plate, to care for babies who might come, to sit on the floor and play with them in the nursery, or to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, which of those things have you been doing and enjoying on a consistent basis to advance God's kingdom? Or is your attendance here the extent of your commitment to Christ? And is even that attendance something that is inconsistent as a commitment? On Wednesday night, we've been talking about Christ's gentle heart for those who would repent. One of the things we didn't get to this Wednesday night was a quote from the Puritan Richard Sibbs. He was commenting on Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, which is an often misinterpreted verse in the Bible. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. Oftentimes that's used as a verse to promote like a a saving invitation, which it is not. It's actually Christ knocking on the door of the church and saying, may I enter? May I come in and fellowship? And this church had so lost its way, the church in Revelation, that they were meeting and gathering without even fellowshipping with Christ as the central goal. Many of us have maybe, to quote another verse from that same passage in Revelation, left our first love and are pursuing other things and do not even, besides all the service aspects I listed, do not even come on a regular basis and do not maybe fellowship corporately with God and God's people, and maybe then is a revelation that we're not even doing that privately and personally at home? Here's what Richard Sibbs says about that. What will we do for Christ if we will not even feast with Him? For instance, if our, if our limited commitment to Christ is attendance, and even then it's inconsistent, what will, what will we do for him in service? All the things I just listed. All the different ways and privileges there are for each of us as believers to be involved in advancing the kingdom of Christ. And there is no greater joy than doing that. Than, than counting the money. Than bringing the flowers. Than cleaning the toilets. Than fixing the windows. Than reach, then there's the reaching of people. No greater joy. Many of you have had the joy of working with children on Wednesday nights and Grace Kids, and it's tiring to come in here on Wednesday night, and it's tough. But there is a joy in serving Christ. But many of us are not doing perhaps what we should, and that's what's happening here in Ezra chapter 5. Last week, this principle was the guiding theme of the message, and it was this. Wherever God initiates a spiritual work, resistance is going to follow. We saw that, remember? Satanic resistance will follow when God is attempting to do something. And no greater thing is God trying to do in this particular generation than to advance his kingdom through the church. Okay? And Satan, to these people who were building the temple, remember brought these friendly alliances in. Hey, we want to be a help to you, but they really didn't. And the people were discerning enough to recognize that. The church has that threat too. The idea of fear and intimidation. We're going to scare you into stopping the work. Right? 
and who knows how close that's going to be as far as on a governmental level, but it certainly is from a personal level. We don't want you in our neighborhood. We're going to call the police when you start to do certain things. And then lastly, of course, are these false accusations. That was all from last week. But what is shifting here from chapter 4 to chapter 5 in Ezra is this, and this is a key thought. The threats to God's ministry, the threats to service, are no longer pressures from people who are outside. It's priorities from people who are inside. That's so important. I've got to say it again, because I notice not many of you are reaching to write that down. That's, this is a critical thought in the message, is that it is shifting from the pressures of people on the outside to now the threat is the priorities of the people on the inside. There's been a 16-year gap, right? The work had stopped, and now God is going to speak. How do the people respond? How will we, we respond? The reasoning had shifted over 16 years from, hey, it's a little bit scary right now to serve, to it's really not the time to do that anymore. Their priorities took over. Look in your Bibles at verse 1, and then we're going to kick off into another section of Scripture. Remember, I, I always encourage you to write right in your Bible, because you'll remember this years from now when you come back to it and you're reading, that there's this 16-year gap. The work ceased. End of verse 24, chapter 4. The work on the house of God ceased until the second year of Darius, and we read about him in the letter he gets and all that. So 16 years pass, and God finally sends two prophets to speak to these lazy individuals. And they are Haggai and Zechariah. It says they prophesied to the Jews. Whatever it was said, see verse, it doesn't tell us the content of their message, but Zerubbabel and Joshua, they're still around. Zerubbabel was in the line of the kings. Joshua was in the line of the priests. They began to rebuild the house of God. Whatever Haggai and Zechariah said to this group motivated them to get back to work. So it would be nice to know what they said. And the great thing is that we have that information. Go to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is towards the end of the Old Testament. Maybe you've not read there or studied there in quite a while. It goes, uh, the last four books of the Old Testament are Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Because the people had been slack in fulfilling their service to God, he sends prophets. Now Haggai and Zechariah could not be two more different people. Uh, Haggai is the one who first started prophesying, and then two months later, Zechariah joined him. But two totally different messages. In fact, if you read them, Haggai, I think, is two chapters, right? Zechariah is something like 14 chapters. Haggai, I, I, I use these three words to summarize them, okay? Haggai is more of a rebuke. It's a rebuke. It's very pointed, straightforward. Okay, that's Haggai. Rebuke, pointed, straightforward. Two chapters of whatever his message is. It's a rebuke. Zechariah, you know, it's, it's like 14 chapters and his message is reassuring and promise. It's kind of a soaring, visionary message. Two totally different. Okay? Haggai comes in. Rebuke. Zechariah. I'm just kind of messing there a little bit, but Zechariah is a very promise-oriented prophet, soaring message. So I want to examine 
their messages today, and that's going to be it. Because then we see the prompt obedience to returning to God's service. So the whole principle for us today is to ask ourselves, have we become lazy and apathetic in our service to Christ? And if so, the message is for us, and there will also be a reassurance for those who have not. We have to be honest with ourselves. You can't say to yourself, yeah, I, hey, I have not slacked off one bit in my service to Christ. I mean, if, if you think that's true about yourself, wonderful. But if you're lying to yourself, then the message won't mean anything to you. You have to really honestly evaluate yourself. That's not my job. That's the job of the Spirit. So according, let's read a little bit of Haggai's message. I'm not going to read the whole message, but chapter 1 is, is really where it starts, and then they obey right away. So here it is, just like you, you might even write Ezra 5 at the top. You can have your own reference Bible. This is, this is when it says in Ezra 5.1, Haggai came and spoke. Here it is what he said. Second year of Darius the king, sixth month, first day. The word of the Lord came by Haggai. That's something we always have to remember. When the prophets are speaking, it is God who is speaking. And as long as pastors like me are sharing the word of God, it, it's God speaking. I mean, I'm not saying I am God, of course, but that God is speaking through his minister. So we don't reject Haggai's message. You don't reject Andy's message. You're rejecting whatever it is God says as it lines up with his word. So he comes to the two guys that we know, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people, don't you like that? These people. There's a distance now between God and his people. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on their labors. Message stops. Verse 13, just to glance at it. Zerubbabel and Joshua with all the remnant of the people. Next word tells us their response. What is the response? Can't hear you because the air conditioning. What is their response? Starts with a no. They obeyed. The voice of the Lord their God. The word of Haggai. And then the beautiful continuation, verse 13, I am with you, declares the Lord. So let's examine this message a little bit. It seems to be that the people are saying that building the house of God or being in the ministry and serving God is not a matter of necessity, it's a matter of convenience. The people know the job needs to be done they're just saying that the time is not right for it to be done. They see the need for the work, 
but not right now. And they are all agreed on this. It is best for us to postpone this. And we can almost kind of agree with their reasoning. Cyrus is gone. Artaxerxes has stepped in, told us to stop. Hey, it's time. we are told to stop. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 10, he even agrees that the safety and danger is a concern. So the people have backed off, and we can kind of say, well, maybe it was right to back off, and God is saying, no, it's not. He sees them as just making excuses. And perhaps we as well think about service in the same way that the people of Ezra's day did, even though it's not Ezra at this time, Zerubbabel and Joshua. We know ministry to God is important and necessary, but now is not the time. When work settles down, when summer ends, when the season or the club comes to a conclusion, when I have some more time, when corona allows for more visitation, when things just quiet down. Maybe we found ourselves even saying those, own thing, those, those things about our service. Um, uh, an old, old evangelist we used to know, Carl Howerta, he's dead. I heard him speak like two times and he said some wonderful things. And he said one of the, one of the uh, greatest diseases in the church is cancer, spiritual cancer. I'd like to help, but I can't, sir. I'd like to drive the bus, but I can't, sir. I'd like to clean the church, but I can't, sir. All the, I just can't. And all these different excuses that always stuck with me. God was not impressed with the excuses of the people of Israel. He's not impressed with ours. I wrote in, I don't know if it's this week's email. I hope you get it. Grace notes on Tuesdays. I try to write some encouraging things to you. Tuesdays at noon it comes. Um, you know, if you want to pass it on to other people, I print it if you don't have emails. But I, I think it was this week I wrote about the, the phrase in Matthew chapter, is it Matthew chapter 24? Well done, good and faithful servant. Who in this room would like God to commend you with that phrase when you reach heaven. If, yeah, we all would. The question is, what are we doing in this life now to ensure that we will hear those words then? The Bible says we reap what we sow. So will years of laziness and inactivity and lack of service to Christ and we die, we still expect God to say that? The story is told, the context of that story is when the master goes away for a time and he gives the servants some talents. Remember? They, some invest and double. Some had a smaller amount and doubled. And the other guy buried it. Remember this? The master comes back and says, oh, you worthless servant. But the others who invested received that commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't it interesting? Like A lot of people would say, well, we shouldn't use rewards as a motivation for our service. Why not? God himself does. Why would God lay out all these crowns that are offered to faithful Christians who share the gospel, who pastor? First Peter, there's a crown for pastors, faithful pastors. There's a crown for endurance. There's all these different rewards, but we want to pretend like, well, those are just... Obviously, our greatest motivation is for the glory and advancement of the kingdom of God, but ultimately, there are some rewards for people who are faithful. Yet some people just kind of expect that that will happen for all Christians when it won't. I've preached funerals for believers who have invested their life 
in service to Christ, and it's fun to do those funerals. I'm not saying it's fun when people die, but when they've lived a long life and they've gone on to be with God, it's enjoyable, and there's a happy experience to say, there is no doubt this person is receiving that commendation from God. And then there's these awkward services, (laughs) really awkward funerals for people who maybe profess to be Christ, but you hardly ever saw them. You couldn't say things like, man, I loved running into this person on Wednesday night when they were coming in on the band with the children they'd brought in or the person they told me about they shared the gospel with or just seeing them around cutting the grass and weed whipping all. They were faithful to serve. You have to kind of dance around it. And a friend of mine, Larry Nagengast, told me once, and I said this to you, your life will preach your funeral. There's, there's no getting to the end of your life and saying, well, I really hope people will say this about me. I really hope God will say this about me. What we're doing now is laying a foundation for that. So there's all kinds of things you can choose to invest your life with, right? All kinds of options. Maybe more than ever before in history. And the greatest option, I'm telling you, the greatest option for any of us is to invest ourselves fully in service to Christ. I understand the limitations that you who are working uh, have that I don't have. I, believe me, I remember standing with a person from our church years ago who would not come out to visitation because, Andy, you don't understand the plight of the working man. And I don't. You, know, you go work 40, 50 hours, and then you're asked to maybe invest some time here too. I get that it's difficult. But we all have time to do the things that we seemingly want to do. And we confuse our priorities like people in Haggai's day. I like what it says here. They busied themselves with their own house. Saying it's not convenient, it's not the time. Haggai takes that phrase, obviously under the inspiration of God. Look again at verse 2. You still have your Bibles open to Haggai probably. Verse 2, these people say the time hasn't come to rebuild the house of God. Haggai takes that word and says... You know, you might circle the word time in verse 4 and put a little arrow to it because in verse 4 he uses that very word and says, well, is it time for you to do your own thing, to live in paneled homes? You seem to have time for yourself, but no time for God. And that is true. I'm not talking about worldly, unbelieving people who don't have any desire to be at church or serve God at all. I'm talking about Christians who have time for their own pursuits, but none for God. They have the right doctrine, the right truth, but they prioritize ourselves. We find it comical to hear about how people are so busy in their schedules as if it's something that they have no control over, right? Uh, We've been talking a little bit this week about Frisbee golf, okay? Frisbee golf, which is kind of a new thing, and you take these discs and you play golf like you're playing golf, but you throw them into these baskets, and we know people who are just like obsessed just obsessed with this. So imagine I was. Imagine I was like totally obsessed with this. I was buying discs, wearing backpacks, you know, playing Bluetooth music all out in the park, just loving this. And, and I, I was a member of the church, let's say, and you know, there were things going on. Well, I just, man, I got this tournament on Tuesday. I got to practice on Wednesday. I got to watch this show on Friday. Uh, as if I'm being pulled by this uncontrollable force. Like, I don't really want to be involved in this I just kind of have to, sorry, don't have time to serve the Lord, as if the schedule is somehow above me, influencing control on me. Who is in control of the schedule, right? 
this is an important thought. Our decisions reflect our priorities. Our decisions reflect our priorities. What we decide to do with the time that we have reflects what we think is important. That's what's happening here in Haggai. Matthew 6 verse 33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Would an honest evaluation of your life bear out that statement that you indeed are seeking first the kingdom of God? Would your friends and those closest to you admit that this person seeks Christ's kingdom first? Let's say, man, I, I'm really into watercolors. I love painting. I just love the feel of the palette in my hand and the mixing of the paints and the, and the brushes, the way it hits the canvas and Oh, I just, I love it so much. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always going into the stores and checking out the new techniques and methods. And you say, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. I'd love to come to your home and see what you've done. Well, I've never painted before. I, I, I just like it a lot. We'd start to think, either you're a liar, you're a hypocrite, or you really don't care about it like you say you do. Right? And a lot of people are doing that. Just like the people here in Asheville. Well, we know that building is important. But other things are more important right now. Let us not do that. Let us not do that. This is another key thought. Harry Ironside, you might know him, pastored Moody Church a long time ago. He's in heaven now. On the, on the Matthew 6.33 verse, he said this, So much is sacrificed for money. So much is sacrificed for money. We could add, so much is sacrificed for pleasure. So much is sacrificed for entertainment. So much is sacrificed for sports. Really, so much is sacrificed for self. Can you imagine if you were working a job and you're getting paid 50000 a year? You'd raised your family in this one town. You're involved in your church, local clubs. You've you got roots in this city. You've been here all your life. You're, all your family is here. And you get a call from somebody in far, far away. We'd like to offer you a very similar job to what you have now, and we'll double your salary. Many people, and this is not wrong, I say many people are willing to move their whole family to a place where they've never lived before, away from their whole extended family, away from everything they know, because of money. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but they, they sacrifice things for that. Hey, if you work on Sundays, it's time and a half. Hey, uh, we sacrifice for money. Hey, if you're not willing uh, to come to this certain event on Sunday, then, then you're going to have to be kicked off this group. Or, you know, and, and we sacrifice so much for temporal things. And it, it, it's just... Uh, I think about what Ironside said there. So much is sacrificed. What does he mean? What is sacrificed? What is sacrificed when we're not here? When we're not serving? We sacrifice the fellowship that we enjoy with other people. We sacrifice the gospel ministry. We sacrifice mutual edification and encouragement and instruction. We sacrifice being together to worship. We sacrifice the joy of seeing what God is doing among us. 
I'm reminded of our Sabbath discussions from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, where it talks about don't seek your own ways, don't seek your own pleasure, don't seek your own word on my day, and you will have blessing. You will, you will rise up with joy, and there will be great satisfaction. But Christians today in full force are abandoning it. And they are sacrificing it. What, what they think they are achieving, you know, it, it, they are losing so much more than they are gaining because of their decision to prioritize other things. Well, the message of Haggai continues in verse 5 and 7 to these people who have prioritized other things, and maybe that's us. What should we then do? He says in verse 5 and 7, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And this is key. Set your heart upon what you're doing. Here's what consider your ways really means. It doesn't mean just go home today and say, well, you know, uh, I guess we could do a little more or whatever. That's not the point. It's to ask yourself this. This is what one of my favorite commentaries says about this verse in Haggai 1, 5, and 7. When he says, what does the consider your ways mean? Examine what you've been doing and what it has been leading to. That's really good. Examine what you've been doing and what it's been leading to. There's always a cause and effect. Always a cause and effect. Um, boy, I'd like to lose 15 pounds. It'd be great. But I'm going to go home today and I'm going to have three pieces of pizza and a big bowl of chips and some Arnold Palmer. And I'm going to realize at some point when I consider my ways... The result is, is an effect of what I have done, right? Nobody, nobody has done this to me. My decisions have influenced now the outcome. So examine what you've been doing and what you've been prioritizing. And, and what I would say is what other people have said. How's that working out for you? Right? How has that? How has what you've been investing in? What has what fruit has that borne? That's what Haggai is saying. That's what God through Haggai is saying. What are you doing, and what has it achieved for you? And remember, the definition of insanity is continue to do what you've been doing and expect something different. Well, let's just keep prioritizing these things, and maybe eventually something will happen, and God will begin to bless. No, He won't. Because he does what is said here in the rest of Haggai. He said, consider your ways. Here's what your 16 years of inactivity has done. Verse number 6. He uses four phrases. You've sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not full. You drink, not full. You clothe yourself, not warm. There's actually five. You earn wages, but you put them in a bag with holes. A lot of people think this is symbolic. Right? you because you're not serving me, you're not satisfied, they would say. It's a symbolic paragraph. I don't think so. Look at verse 9. You looked for much. And behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I, God speaking, I blew it away. Why? Because of your lack of service. Verse 15. Excuse me, verse 9. The numbers are small. So the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its product because I have called for a drought. Who has caused all of their work that they're prioritizing, right? We don't have time to serve God, but we'll do this 
And all of that work has led to nothing because God has said, I am not going to bless that. I would bless this. But I, if you're prioritizing this, I've just called for a drought. You've looked for grain. There's been nothing. Even though it may resemble symbolic dissatisfaction, the result is that it is God's judgment for misplaced priorities. We're not going to take the time to turn to these passage, passages. But if you have greater interest in discerning this, Micah chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 38 and 39 reflect this same idea. That when we are not prioritizing God, judgment comes. Well, what is the solution? What's the solution to this problem? It's to change priorities. I mean, what is important to you? And again, your decisions reflect that. If Christ is important to you, attendance just isn't enough. You must find your fulfillment and satisfaction in his service. The beautiful thing in verse 12 is the prompt obedience of the people. They instantly obeyed and got back to work. What will be our response? I guess that's to be determined. We could, we could lie to ourselves and say there really is no need to serve. We're doing everything we can. We can use the same excuses that they used for Haggai. Or we could say, for years we've been prioritizing other things and it's borne the fruit that we see in our lives. And change is required. We must repent and return. Go to Zechariah chapter 9. Remember, Zechariah is kind of the promise guy. Haggai is the rebuke guy. Zechariah is the promise guy. Much more visionary much more symbolic, beautiful language. The title of the message, we don't have a bulletin, so you don't have a title, but my, my title is Work! Exclamation point. It's worth it. Work! It's worth it. I'd put an exclamation point after the end of that too. Haggai is the one rebuking, saying work. Right? Return to God. And it's not just this. It's not return to doing the work like, and just start doing things. It's, no, correct the heart out of which service flows. See, lack of service or lack of commitment to Christ and his church is just a reflection of our heart priorities. So we have to return to God, and then the work will, will flow. Calvin and Luther both wrote about Zechariah that it was one of the greatest encouragements to anyone who would attempt a work for Christ. In verse number 4 of chapter 1, I know you had to, I had you go to chapter 9 because we don't have time to look at the whole book, but it declares the riches for those who would repent. If, only, if all we had was Haggai in this situation, we would think that all God cared about was getting that building built. <laughs> but he's concerned for his people. It is our joy to serve Christ. And that's what Zechariah is trying to point out to the people, that there is joy in serving God. It's worth it. Because the job that you've been given to do has an ultimate goal. What was that goal? What is the building of the temple for? Why is it being built? Why is it so important? It's, it's, not, it's not only to carry out the sacrifices and the services and the, and the worship. Look at Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Look at this. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. Verse 11, as for you also, because of the blood of the covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Verse number 14, the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord will protect them. They shall devour and tread down the sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine. Verse 16, On that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. You know what Zechariah is saying? This work is worth it. You're doing this because eventually the Messiah is going to come. He's going to come to his city. He's going to come to his temple. And and I think two comings in Zechariah 9 are listed. He is going to come on that donkey riding in on Palm Sunday. And yet he is going to come later and eventually bring that righteousness to the whole earth. And we have the joy of being involved in that service for that great and coming king. Zechariah is providing the people with tremendous motivation. This isn't work just to keep yourself busy. I mean, you want investment that lasts beyond your life? I mean, this is the work that will last. This is the only work that will last. There's nights that I would drop off those kids. And there's nights I'd say, are we doing anything? And I'd cry when we dropped Tiana off, last one, and say, is any of this worth it? Where are their parents? Where, where is the fruit? Where are the converts? You say, I mean, this September we're celebrating 10 years of ministry together. God's faithfulness. Praise God for that. But you wonder, is it worth it? I tell the kids this all the time. The service of Christ is worth it. The labor, the work, it's worth it because we're doing it for people. Because we're doing it for Christ. Like Sibs said, if I won't even fellowship with him, what will I do for him? This righteous, just king will bring salvation. He will come. Haggai's rebuke was to the lazy and Zechariah's promise is to the working. Haggai says, get up and get busy, return. Zechariah says, when you work, you will have joy and fulfillment. The rebuke for some of you today may be, may be needed from Haggai. Say, return, reprioritize, reschedule. Get busy in the service of Christ. That your life may outlive you and influence. All of us, I think, desire that. But for those who are serving, and again, only you can honestly evaluate this, the encouragement is that the work is worth it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain. Sometimes it seems that. And it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Not good and successful servant. 
Not good and fruitful servant. We are just to do what the master asks. That's what Luke says. We are just servants. We are just doing our duty to the master. Be faithful in that. Be faithful because he sees your work even when no one else does. I want to turn lastly. You don't have to, but I'll, I'll read it to you, but you may note it. This is an encouragement to you. Hebrews 6, verses 10 to 12. Maybe this is for some of you who are downtrodden and say, I do work, I do labor, but no one seems to notice. And is it, does it really matter? Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. In other words, he sees it. The love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you're still doing. The work and love that you are showing to the church and to the kingdom of Christ. God sees it. God sees it. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness. All of us, let's all of us pick up the slack and serve to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the province. There's a couple people in here. There's the sluggish and there's the serving. Do you need Haggai or do you need Zechariah today? Do you need that rebuke to get back to work, to return, to reprioritize? Do you need Zechariah's promise that your work is not in vain? I love how the story goes, and we conclude with this. We do start to wonder and get concerned. What, God, what are you doing? I like in Haggai when it says, you know, you rise up and you work and you return to me and I will be with you. I will be with you. I'll be with you so much that the king's going to say, If anybody stops you, let him be impaled by a beam from his house. And let his his house turn into a manure pit. (laughs) I heard some of you giggle when I read that. Isn't that great? Think some enemy is going to be able to oppose what God wants to do? If God be for us, who could be against us? Will you honestly evaluate yourselves, though, or will you continue to paint that veneer over what is broken and say, well, we're doing as best we can? That's, that's your decision. I've given you the Word of God as best I know how, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict each one of us. Let's bow our heads to pray. God, there is great joy in serving you. How thankful we are to be counted worthy to serve you and work for you. May we honestly evaluate which category we're in. Encourage those who are working hard. And spur and challenge and convict those that aren't. We're in control of our own schedules. We're in control of our own time. We're in control of our own priorities. Let us seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that every else, everything else will be added to us. Lift up those who are serving. May they realize their work is not in vain. Help us not to grow weary in doing well, that we might hear, well done, good, faithful servant. And it's all because of Christ, our Lord and Savior, who willingly gave himself on the cross of Calvary for our sins and makes it possible to have fellowship with you. It's in his lovely name that we pray. Amen.